Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 2, beginning at 23. As Prash said, you can see the passage either on the screen, in your handout, or if you have a Bible, it will be on page 1064. It will include the verse that we've just learnt with Pippi, but we're not wrapping it. So, let's have a look at God's word. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Now while he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light comes into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because of their because their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your spirit who inspired John to write these words for us this morning. We pray your same spirit would work in our hearts and minds to open your word to our eyes and open our eyes to your word, for we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're in the uh, series, series through John's Gospel, and notice that Karen read the end of chapter 2, which is a kind of a precursor uh, to move into chapter 3. Of course, as we know, three, John 3.21 is that uh, wonderful verse, which we now all know off by heart, and it's a memorable verse. It's one of those verses that uh, when you become a Christian that you regularly are reminded of and it's a good if you don't know that verse off by heart then it's good that you do learn it uh, as a reminder to you of God's love but before we get there we need to see how Jesus introduces this concept uh, with this encounter with Nicodemus you notice at the end of chapter 2 we see that Jesus is doing various signs around the temple uh, but he doesn't entrust himself to people there were a lot of people who feigned belief, were part of the following of Jesus, and yet whose heart had not been changed. And this is the change of heart we're looking at in chapter 3. Nicodemus is a ruler uh, in the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees were one of those particular groups of people which were very had a strong sense of cleanliness and uh, keeping to the law. Uh, they were around the temple. Maybe he saw uh, Jesus in the temple, cleansing the temple. He'd have been pleased about that, no doubt. And he saw his signs. He, he was uh, a member of the Sanhedrin and uh, a ruler, uh, therefore, of the Jews. He's a person of some high standing. You know, perhaps he could have been called an archbishop. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that mantle easily falls off your shoulders. So that sense in which here he is, he's a very important person in, in Israel. But he comes to Jesus by night. Uh, John makes that point because light and darkness, night and day, are strong motifs in John's Gospel. When Judas leaves the upper room on the night he was betrayed, John makes the comment, and it was night. In other words, the works of darkness are taking place at night. Nicodemus comes at night because he's afraid. He's unsure. Rabbi, he says, he uses the right words. Rabbi, we know that you have done wonderful things and you're a teacher come from God because 
You couldn't be anyone, anything else to have done such wonderful things. So he comes with high praise of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, oh thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I've learned a few things over the time and I'm really happy to teach the people. Very glad to have people come and say how much they appreciate my teaching. No, he doesn't do that at all, does he? Unlike some preachers. <laughs> uh, he says these words. I tell you the truth, unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth. This is a grave saying of Jesus. Truly, truly, some translations have. I tell you the truth. Unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is a common term. It actually, in the original language, could be, and perhaps better translated, born from above. The sense in which the birth is from above. Even the word born is perhaps not the best translation. Those who are begotten from above. It's not so much the birth as the conception, which is in view. The very beginning. What Jesus is saying, a new beginning is needed, a fresh start, being begotten from above, being born again. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Now Nicodemus, though he's a ruler, he hasn't learned metaphor in his uh, Jewish teaching class. So he comes up with this, how can a person climb back into a mother's womb and be born again. The, the thought is preposterous. Uh, for those of you who have seen a baby born, or perhaps have birthed the child yourself, uh, the thought of putting that child back in the womb <laughs> was the last thing on your mind, wasn't it? <laughs> and that's just when it's very small, let alone when the baby grows. Now the whole point of the birth is to bring the child to full term and then to deliver. So that uh, Vicky and Neil have just got a grandson yesterday and so they know all about this with young little Theo but you don't want to push that child back in the womb good grief now Nicodemus doesn't understand he's a little bit thick hasn't understood the literary concept of metaphor what is Jesus saying so then Jesus makes it plainer for Nicodemus I tell you the truth again Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice now change can't see the kingdom of God, now can't enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and spirit. Uh, although the word the is there, the spirit, and that reference to the Holy Spirit, it's one concept, water and spirit. Of course, the spirit and water were first identified in Genesis 1 verse 2 and the spirit hovered over the waters that sense in which the spirit and, and water often come together in the scriptures uh, many scholars have looked at ways in which what does it mean to be water and spirit is the water is it two parts is it uh, water born physically whether it be the breaking of the waters from the mother or water a reference to the semen from the father or is the water a reference to cleansing of some sort? Uh, there's a, is a reference to Christian baptism, some scholars think. So what, what is the concept of water and spirit? 
Uh, my own view is that it's actually a reference to the, the newness of the birth. And as water and spirit come together, not so much two separate parts, but newness, because unless you have water and spirit birth, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And that, I think, becomes plain when he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. If he'd said, unless one is born of water and born of the spirit, they'd be two separate things. But he says, unless one is born of water and spirit, and in the Greek, uh, original language, there's a sense which is one construct. But the distinction is natural birth, spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh, that which is born of the spirit. I don't know if you can cast your mind back to when you first heard of the gospel. Maybe it was from your parents. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family. Or maybe you heard the gospel through SRE, maybe at school, maybe at university, maybe in the workplace, maybe later in an adult life. And you didn't sort of quite realise the time, but God was working in you. He was opening your eyes. Perhaps you'd heard about Christianity many times, but now it suddenly all made sense. That's a work of the Spirit of God. And friends, if you're anyone is here still thinking this through, trying to work out what is the truth about Christianity, the best thing to do is pray for God's Spirit to open your eyes, to unstop your ears, and to see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't be surprised you must be born again. The wind blows where it wills. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from. God does his secret work in our hearts. If we didn't have God's spirit to open our eyes, we would still be blind. And so Jesus speaks, therefore, this is true of everyone born of the spirit. And notice he uses the language of born of the spirit there. He doesn't mention water the second time. How can this be, says Nicodemus? He still doesn't understand because the Spirit hasn't opened his eyes yet. And what does Jesus say? You're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? Good grief, what synagogue school did you go to? This is part of God's revelation. It's always been God's working in the inner part. The Old Testament language was the language of the circumcision of the heart. You'll see this in Deuteronomy, for example, chapter 10 and chapter 30. You'll see it again in Jeremiah chapter 4. And Paul, when he writes to the Colossians and also to the Romans, uses the language of circumcision, strangely, inward circumcision, to describe Christians. He's using the Old Testament language of an Old Testament concept that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless God does a spiritual work within, breaking down hard, stony hearts and making them hearts of flesh that can see, hearts of warmth, eyes that can see, ears that can hear. 
So the circumcision in the Old Testament, which, are, which was a physical sign on the, on the male body, actually has reference to an inward cleansing, an inward cutting back, if you like, of the heart of pride, so the person can understand. That inner circumcision is the important thing. Paul, when he writes to the Jews, to the Jews and Gentiles in Rome, he says, it actually ultimately doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised physically or not. But what does matter, if you're a true person of God, is to have that circumcision of the heart. Being born again is new covenant language, but it's an old covenant reality. And that's why Jesus chides Nicodemus and says, you're a teacher in Israel, you don't understand the work of the Spirit? He says, if we testify to things which you know, earthly things, how can you possibly understand heavenly things, things which are yet to be revealed? And then he uses an interesting illustration. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Here he's speaking of a, a reference to in Numbers 21, where Israel in the wilderness had once again broken God's law, rebelled against him, a plague and a sickness had affected the Israelites. And God in his mercy says to Moses, create a, bro a bronze serpent. Put it on a stick, not a live serpent, fortunately, and hold it up to the people. And anyone who looks to that serpent on the pole will be healed. Serpent, real serpents had been biting people at the time. And this is a symbol of healing that God gives to Israel. But Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And of course, what Jesus is speaking there of is his elevation on the cross. He's being lifted up on a gallows. He's being crucified before all the people. That's what healing will, that's how healing will come. Not just physical healing, but salvation in its fullest eternal sense. And so he comes in verse, six, uh, verse 16, and whether it's Jesus' own words here or whether it's John comment, uh, commenting on what Jesus says, doesn't matter because it's still God's word that comes to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, the word so there is not so much he loved the world so much, which of course is true, but he loved the world in this way. He loved the world so that he sent his only son. We must not be any, uh, under any illusion that God had to save us. There was no necessity for God to save. God could have condemned the world in Adam and let the world perish. But once God decided to save, 
Once God recognised out of his own character of love that he wanted to show mercy even to rebellious citizens such as us, there was only one way to save, and that was to send his only son. It was costly for God the Father to send his son. If we think the death of Jesus is not necessary, it's like slapping God in the face and saying, well, why could you have done an easier way? There was no other way. And Jesus comes to live the life that neither you nor I could live and die the death that you and I deserve. And when he's lifted up on that cross, he drinks damnation dry. A gospel of salvation can only be understood on the background of a sentence of condemnation. Notice that when he says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send the Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. But anyone who doesn't believe in the Son is condemned already. Friends, the gravity of God's love is this, that without Jesus, we are lost and under condemnation. But because of God's great love, his generous self-giving of his son, so that Jesus, in obedience to the Father, comes to live that life under the law of God and to take the penalty that belongs to us, we can have life. This is the verdict, says John. Light has come into the world, and yet people love darkness rather than light. That's so true, isn't it? There are so many people who just don't recognise who Jesus is. They prefer their own way to be rulers of their own life and not to submit themselves to the Lord of all creation, to the God of the universe. But anyone who does come to the light will do deeds which please God. And in actual fact, anyone who comes to the light, it'll be shown that their deeds have been wrought in God, that final verse, 21 of the chapter. And here again, Jesus is enunciating the principle, it's God who's at work in us. God brought you here this morning, you realise. God is working in you. You're not here by accident. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the fact you know that being born again is evidence in your love for God's word, to be nourished by his word, to learn more from his word. And if you've yet to put your trust in Jesus, God's brought you here for a reason, that you might hear God's word and be born again. Believe in Jesus, the one who saves us from condemnation. Chapter 4 moves on to a completely different situation. Interestingly, it talks about baptism. We've heard about baptism with John the Baptist beforehand. It may well be water and spirit as one concept is seen together as water and spirit. 
And baptism identifies that as a sign of discipleship. But we don't hear what Nicodemus thinks. We don't hear his response to Jesus' teaching. But we do see Nicodemus appear on two more occasions in the Gospel. He appears in chapter 7. When the rulers are discussing Jesus and thinking Jesus is a threat, and Nicodemus, no longer the timid person who comes to Jesus by night, speaks up on behalf of Jesus, says a word in his defence, a bold, courageous statement. And then in chapter 19, when Jesus is being taken down from the cross, Joseph of Arimathea offers his tomb. And who's there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to gather up the physical body of Jesus. He brings spices of the weight of 30 kilograms. He gives of his money sacrificially for Jesus in his burial. He does this publicly. He's no longer the fearful, timid man who comes in chapter 3 because Nicodemus has been born again. He wants to side with the disciples of Jesus, be courageous, be sacrificial with his own resources, and to do so because he knows that Jesus is the saviour of the world. This chapter forces us to reflect upon our own eternal life and whether indeed our trust is in Jesus because that's the evidence of being born again. It doesn't matter whether the Jew was circumcised outwardly or not, it was the inner heart. It ultimately doesn't matter whether you've been baptised or not, it's the inner work of the Spirit, his baptising work on your heart. That's the, the evidence of that will be seen in a life which is lived seeking to honour the Lord Jesus. And of course, as opportunity arises to share that news with others, that they too might come to the light. God so loved the world, not just the nation of Israel, but every tribe and nation language and tongue, every culture, which at the end of John's vision in Revelation will see the whole magnitude of every tribe and nation before the throne singing glory to God. That will be the gathering of those who have been born again, born from above. May we be among that number by putting in our, our trust in Jesus today. Amen.